This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, June 19th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. New York City likes price controls on rent, but they go a step further in actively preventing landlords from changing or selling their property unless tenants agree. The Supreme Court might take up a challenge to that law. Cato's Tommy Berry details what's at stake. We've known for a long time that rent control is bad economic policy, and we, for a variety of reasons, and yet a lot of states and cities have persisted, most notably New York City has persisted with a rent control regime that's gone back decades. What does rent control do to both landlords and tenants? It has several effects. So the most commonly known is it sets maximum rent rates. So the name of this law in New York City is the rent stabilization law. And that's kind of the euphemism stabilization for setting maximum uh, prices, maximum rents that the tenants may charge. It applies to pre-1974 buildings that house six or more people. So in total, about half of all uh, habitable New York City apartments are subject to this law. And a New York City government board for each particular building essentially sets a maximum rental price that they may charge. And they take into account several factors, not just the value and location of the building, but also the ability of the tenants to pay in that neighborhood. Uh, But in addition, and the subject of this case, it also has severe restrictions on when you can not renew a tenant's lease. So of course, people can buy leases for however long they want, and an owner has to respect that that contract, be it a 12-month, 24-month lease, what have you. But when a lease expires, normally the owner has the right to change the use of the property, rent it out to someone else, or just get out of the rental business altogether. But this law has severe limits on this. It essentially says as long as the tenant's paying their rent and not violating any rules, they have the automatic right to renew it, even if the owner doesn't want to renew it. A rational landlord would look at that law and say, it's time to get out of this business. But at the same time, you know, there are severe limitations on your ability to even do that. Exactly. If a landlord is essentially prevented, they're not allowed to, for example, change it from rental to business, uh, you know, convert it into office space. And if even if they want to switch it to, say, condos, uh, sell instead of rent, they have to have a vote of every tenant and it has to get more than a 50% vote. If they want to demolish the property, they first have to find equivalent priced space for every single tenant. And often that's just infeasible. So in practice, you usually can't get out of the business. And even more bizarre, not only do particular tenants have the right to renew, if a family member lives with that tenant for two or more years, then the family member can renew. So there's one instance mentioned in this lawsuit of a family that's lived in an apartment for 50 years, three generations, and there's nothing the owner can do about it. So detail the lawsuit. This is challenging that law. And, you know, it makes sense to me that we have property is alienable. Mm-hmm. We understand that to be true. Uh, mm-hmm. you, we can make choices about our property and cannot be compelled by the state to do X, Y, or Z, uh, with the property in, you know, the least of which would be being prohibited from selling it. Exactly. So one of the core sort of properties often defined by lawyers as a bundle of sticks or a bundle of rights. One of the key ones is the right to exclude. And one way to define the right to exclude is essentially to decide who stays in the apartment and who doesn't stay in the apartment. 
There was a case just recently at the Supreme Court brought by my former employer, Pacific Legal Foundation, called Cedar Point, that said you can't force a farm to host union recruiters and, and force them to take them onto their land because that's violating their right to exclude. That's essentially a forced invasion of their land. Or if you do, you have to pay compensation for it. This lawsuit was brought by owners of New York City buildings, and they're claiming that this is a violation of their right to exclude. They're tenants that they say, I don't want you in my space anymore. Once a tenant, uh, a lease expires, they're not allowed to say, I want to exclude you from my space. What would this open up if this case was successful? What would what would this open up? It would seem to challenge a lot of, quite frankly, tenants' rights uh, laws that are on the books in many places. Yes. In particular, it would affect laws that don't just set prices, but that uh, give tenants the right to renew leases at a particular price or simply the right to renew in general. So th this particular challenge essentially says that owners have a right once a lease, once a contract has expired to decide, even if they don't have a particular reason to simply decide, I don't want to renew this lease for you anymore. I want to either rent it out to someone else or get out of the rental business. Uh, there was an, uh, in Minnesota, there was a lawsuit challenging a eviction moratorium, kind of similar to the national one issued by the governor there. And the eighth circuit, the court of appeals that, that includes Minnesota, in my view, correctly said, yes, you can challenge this under the Constitution, and yes, this is a, a, a valid claim uh, that that forcing you not to evict someone is taking your, away your property rights. If the Supreme Court takes this case and you argue that they should, what do you suspect will happen? If they decide to take this case, the challengers should be very optimistic, especially given the decision in Cedar Point just recently. There were several decisions from a few decades ago in the 70s, 80s, 90s, where the Supreme Court upheld various rent control laws against takings claims. But the court has really shifted to a, a more protective attitude and a more strict attitude when it comes to takings claims and violations of the right to exclude. So in our amicus brief supporting this petition, we pointed out all of those rent control decisions from the Supreme Court are before Cedar Point. And it's really important for the Supreme Court to reevaluate those in light of Cedar Point and say maybe these aren't consistent with this core right to exclude that we've now established in Cedar Point. Tommy Berry is the editor of the Cato Institute's annual Supreme Court Review. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>